whichever mode you appreciate. But we are in John chapter 5 today, and actually today and next week is a two-part uh, message. We're going to be working through chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And I was, my intention was to do all 16 verses today, but I got through 9, and I'm like, man, I, I just don't want to cram 7 more verses into one point and just kind of skim over it. Y'all okay with that? So I decided to break it into two messages, but we are um, in, in, in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, today is 1 through 9, Jesus is, he's back in Jerusalem, and he's in an area of the city um, at this pool, and there is a multitude of, of handicapped people, disabled people, and, and we're going to see how he goes into this place, and, and he actually is dealing with one guy here. And I, and I was just kind of thinking about the idea of being disabled, and you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of people who have to go through life disabled. You know, it, they're born disabled. Uh, maybe they have an accident. People go to war. And, and disability, physically, mentally, it, it's real. A lot of people live with it. Um, you know, I thank God for my health. And, and, and I hope you do that, that if you are healthy, you, you thank God for that health. Um, but, but today, I want to... I wanna, not look at a physical disability, hence the title of the message today, Spiritually Disabled. And, 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 and I want to take a look at that today from these first nine verses. And, and I want to show you, as we read through, at, on, the, on the surface, you're going to look at it and go, Jim, there's nothing there about spiritual disability, but I want to show you there is. So I hope you have your Bible open. But look with me, starting with verse 5, and let me read the first nine verses. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five covered colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man who had been there as an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had already been there a long time, and he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your, your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took his bed, and he walked. All right, here's the first point I want, to, want us to look at today, and I would encourage you to write this down, take notes. But the first point is this, being disabled just isn't physical, but it can also be spiritual. It's just not physical, it's just not mental, but it can also be spiritual. So let's kind of get the context here. Let's break this apart. So as you see that Jesus, it says, after this. What is the after this? After Jesus heals the, 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 the royal official son. That was what we looked at last week in, at the end of chapter 4. All right, so Jesus at this time, if you remember, he's in northern Israel in the area, the, the, the region called Galilee. And he went back to the small town called Canaan, where Cana, where he did the, the, the you know, turned the water into wine. And, and there was a royal official whose son was dying. And, and this guy comes to Jesus. And he's like, my son's dying. Come and, and heal him. And Jesus is like, man, you just go. Your son's going to be okay. We, we looked at that last week about the importance of faith. And so this is the after this. And it says that Jesus uh, went back down to Jerusalem. So he, he travels from northern Israel to southern Israel back to the, the back to Judea and that's where Jerusalem is at and and Jesus goes back into Jerusalem and notice it says there's a feast going on all right now I'm telling you I read commentaries people are trying to figure out what feast this is what feast does it mention it doesn't okay so here's my opinion um, it doesn't mention it so it must not be that important for us to know what feast it was all right. It just says there was a feast in Jerusalem and Jesus is like, hey, another time to party. Let's go, man. There's going to be some people there. We're going to eat some food. Let's go. There was something that he was going to observe. OK. And then we know from the Old Testament, there's a lot of different feasts that Jews had to go to Jerusalem for. We don't know what it was. So we're not going to sit there and assume what it was. Is that OK. It was just a feast. And that's where Jesus is. He's in Jerusalem. And notice it says that in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, the sheep gate, um, it sh 
that should tell you what it was for. It wasn't for the cows. It was for the sheep to be brought into the city during times so that way they could take them to the temple and in and, and, and times of sacrifice. All right. Hence the name Sheep Gate. And that gate was in, in it was just one of many gates within the wall. Okay. Now, in our time today, there is no longer a wall around Jerusalem. There's parts. In fact, if you see, you know, you, we, we, we know that their Jews go to what? The Wailing Wall, okay? A portion of the original wall in Jesus' time still stands. But in 70 AD, when the Romans conquered Jerusalem, guess what was ripped down? The wall, okay? And so, there, so, so in Jesus' time, there was a wall around the entire city of Jerusalem. And so one of the gates, one of the openings, the entries was called the Sheep Gate, and by this sheep gate, it says there was a pool called Bethesda, and it had five cover colonnades. And I would encourage you, you can get online today, and you can just Google, you know, sheep gate, Bethesda pool, and it will show you um, how archaeologists have uncovered this, okay? And, and you can actually see what this looks like. And so there was this pool, and, and more than likely... I'm going to say it was probably a natural spring, all right? Um, there are, and I like to watch uh, PBS. If you're over 50, that's what you do. You watch PBS. And, uh, and, and there's this guy by the name of Rick Steves, and he, he, he travels Europe, and he, he goes to different places, and, and there's a place in a lot of uh, ancient Roman colonies that still have ancient pools like this today. And, and so, um, so this was probably a... A, a natural pool that was going on. And so in verse 3, that's what it's describing. Then in verse 5, it says there was a man who had been an invalid there for um, 38 years. So in verse 3, it says, hey, there were other, other invalids or disabled people. Um, some of you may have a version that says sick people. Uh, like if you have the New King James or the King James, it says there were sick people. I think that's a bad translation because sick people just like, I got a cold. No. These people were invalids. They were, they were handicapped. They were, they were disabled. And they were at this pool. Now, look at your Bible. Raise your hand. Notice this uh, it, as I was reading through there. Verse 3 says, and there were a multitude of invalids, you know, lame, blind, lame, and paralyzed. That's verse 3. And then in my Bible, my version says in verse 5, there was a guy there for 38 years. How many of you have that? You have verse 3, then verse 5. Raise your hand. How many, Paul was like, there was no verse 4 in there. I've never read that before. How many of you have a verse 4 in your version? Okay, those of you who have a verse 4, you probably have like in uh, King James, New King James, New American Standard, something like that. Okay, so you're probably thinking, well, some of you have a verse 4, but it's a footnote. Now, some of you, I'm hoping you're scratching your head and like, well, why is that, Jim? Why is there some that have a verse 4 and others? Okay, here's the thing. Here's what we need to understand. Okay, a little bit of teaching time. Remember, when the apostles wrote the scripture, when they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote it down, those were called original manuscripts, all right? From those original manuscripts, other scribes, other people took those originals and word by word wrote them down. So, so if you go, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years after the apostles wrote the original text. Other believers who would have been pretty would have been like um, followers of the apostles. Okay, they would have been responsible for writing again what the apostles had written. Now, here's the thing: once years passed, the original manuscripts destroyed because they were written like on papyrus, and so it, it, it couldn't survive. What we have are copies. We don't have the originals. But what we do have are thousands of copies. And so what archaeologists, what, what Bible scholars do is they take all of these copies and they see how many copies are there of the book of John. And what they do is they take all of these copies of the book of John and then they start putting them together. And what they do is like, oh, this is a copy. This is a copy. And they all say the same. OK, they all or, or very close of saying the same. 
That's how we know what we have is right. Because you have scholars taking these manuscripts and showing that they all say the same thing. All right? So what happens is, in the book of John, so per se, um, per chance, is this. Some scholars had written it with the verse 4. Because if you look at the, the, some of you have the verse 4 in or as a footnote, it says that there were invalids there. And what would happen is an angel would come down, stir the waters, and the first person in the water was miraculously healed. So there were some scribes who wrote that in. Some scribes who did not. Now, we can't say why some did and some didn't. Now, now, the first question we can have is, well, does that make the scriptures invalid? No, because it doesn't change the text, okay? It doesn't change the point of the text. It just, it's it's not, if it was a major doctrine, that would be an issue. This is not, okay? Okay. So we just have some, some manuscripts with it in, some without it. So when the versions, our English versions are written, some English versions put it in, made a verse 4. Some English versions took it out, put it as a footnote. Does that all make sense? Okay. It, it, I, ho- I hope I clarified that. Okay. So, so but, but, but whether it's in or out, it's not, it's not a big essential. Okay. It's not going to change the text. The idea is, the big idea is, is that Jesus goes, and guess who's there? Disabled people. That's the big idea. That there's a multitude of disabled people lying around these pools, okay? And, and they, were, they were blind. They couldn't see. Lame. Couldn't walk. And paralyzed. Couldn't move. That's who these people were. Now, there was obviously something about the pool. This is why I think that, that the idea of an angel coming down, stirring the water for me is probably more mystical. Okay? Maybe a, a, a Hebrew tradition where probably it was just a natural spring. Because there are natural springs where people will say, if you go sit in this water, it has healing power. Okay? So there was something obviously going on with this water because I'm sorry... I'm not going to sit there for 38 years if nothing's happening, okay? So there must have been something with the water, but it was probably more mystical in the idea that it was probably just a natural spring, probably had some healing powers to it, but more than likely an angel coming down, stirring the waters, probably more traditional, like, hey, it's a story, okay? So, but the idea is, is that there are paralyzed people here, Lame people, blind people, invalids, handicapped, okay? In fact, and this is where, this is where I want to bridge from the physical to the spiritual. You may not be physically handicapped, but you can be spiritually handicapped. Even this guy, he was not only physically handicapped, he was spiritually handicapped. Well, Jim, how do you know that? Because if you go to verse, because as you, like I said, it's, it's verses 1 through 16. If you go to verse 4, or verse 14, when Jesus heals this guy, and Jesus leaves, the guy leaves, in verse 14, it says that Jesus found this guy in the temple. The first place this, guy's, this guy goes after being healed is where? To the temple. He goes to church. Because for 38 years, and we're going to see this text, for 38 years he was homeless. 38 years he had nobody to help into the pool. 38 years he could, he was paralyzed. And I'm probably thinking, probably from the waist down. Because if he, he, he even says, he goes, I, I can't get into the pool. More other people walk in it before me. and I can't get there. He's like, I try to get my hands going. I can't move very fast. And so for 38 years, he's been paralyzed. 38 years, he's been at this pool. 38 years, he's been homeless. 38 years, he's been a beggar. For 38 years, he hasn't been to church. Because he can't move. He can't go 15 feet and get in the pool. So why in the world would he try to scurry to the temple? He's not. Not only has he been physically disabled for 38 years, he's been spiritually disabled. 
Because the moment he gets his physical healing, guess where he wants to go? I got to get back to God to get my spiritual healing. The reality is you and I can be physically healthy but spiritually broken. We can be physically good but spiritually disabled. Like, take these, these people. It says that there were people who were blind at this pool. You know, the Bible says that we are spiritually blind at once the point. Our, we all sing the, the song Amazing Grace. I was once what? Blind, but now I see. Well, how are we blind spiritually? Well, here's what Paul tells us in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, and that's describing Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Satan blinds the eyes of unbelievers. You see, the Bible makes it very clear. The Bible tells us one truth, we're all sinners. It tells us the second truth, because we're all sinners, we're all separated from God for all eternity. Here's the third truth. You can't get to God on your, on your own effort. Here's the fourth truth. Jesus came to this world to die on a cross, to take the sin of the world. Here's the fifth truth. If you put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation and ask him to come into your life by faith, you are saved, forgiven. Guess who does not want people to know that truth? Satan. So guess what he does? He blinds our minds. He blinds the eyes of our hearts. And, and that way we would believe truth like, nah, you don't have to be saved. You can get to heaven by just working hard. Nah, you don't have to believe in Jesus. You can believe in anything. You can believe in any God because God's a God of love and he's going to accept everybody. Whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to do, you just do it and you'll get there. That's spiritual blindness. It's not until we hear the gospel, hear the truth of God's word, that the eyes of our hearts are opened. And then we're like, oh, I get it. Spiritual blindness. Spiritually disabled. But here's the thing. Maybe you're here today, though. You're like, Jim, I, 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 my eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel. I know Jesus as my Savior. I'm not spiritually blind. Here's the thing. You may not be spiritually blind. Not everybody at that pool was blind, were they? There were lame people. They couldn't walk. There were paralyzed people. Couldn't move. Listen, you can be spiritually, have your eyes opened, but you can be spiritually lame. You can be spiritually paralyzed. You can, you can be spiritually in a way where I can't move, I can't walk. You are spiritually broken. Okay, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of people in the Bible got to a place where they were spiritually disabled. A, a few examples I wrote down was one was Elijah. You go back to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. Elijah was a, a, a prophet of God, and God used him to do some seriously supernatural things. Like, you know, Elijah told King Ahab, dude, it is not going to rain for three years. And guess what it did not do? It did not rain for three years. And then he goes back to Elijah. Oh, by the way, it's going to rain, and it does. Elijah was able to do some amazing supernatural things through the power of God. And then one time, he gets in a duel with false prophets, and he, he calls down fire, and he consumes everything. And then he has all these prophets of Ahab killed. That's chapter 18. He's, he's, he's flying high with God. But then you get to chapter 19, and Ahab, King Ahab, tells his wife Jezebel, oh, man, that, that prophet Elijah, he really put a stick in my, in my side today. He killed all my prophets. And then Jezebel sends out an email and gets to Elijah and says, I'm telling you, I am going to kill you. And so Elijah, being the great man of God, he freaks out, runs into the woods, and he's so depressed. Here's what he says. God, I'm done. Just take my life. Tell me, is, is he spiritually like moving at that point? Or is he spiritually broken? you got to be broken to the 10th degree in order to tell God, God, I'm done. Just kill me. 
That's not spiritual movement, isn't it? That's spiritual, that's, that's disability big time. That's spiritual paralysis. He's not moving. He is sitting in the woods, depressed and sleeping. And he just wants God to kill him. Spiritual brokenness, spiritually disabled. I thought of David. When you read David's life, David went through it before he was ever king. And he got to a point where so many times you read in the book of Psalms, you can see the distress. In Psalm 32, when I think this is probably in reference to his sin with, with um, Bathsheba. But he, he, he went and confessed his sin. And he got to a point, he, he wrote in Psalm 32, he goes, When I kept silent, my, my bones wasted away. Not literally, okay? He's not talking like my bones. He's like, I got inside. I was like paralyzed. I, I, I wasn't moving with God anymore. I was stuck. I was broken. Something was so wrong with me because there was something going on in his life. I look at John the Baptist. I mean, we, we, we saw John the Baptist as we studied the first couple of books of John. And John the ba- Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And man, he was out in the, out in the wilderness preaching and doing all kinds of things. And, and he had the biggest church in the, in the area at that time. Everybody was going out to John the Baptist. He was doing great. And then he's like, oh, there's Jesus. He's, a, he's the son of God, the lamb of God. Man, there he is. And G- John's like, I got to decrease. He's got to increase. He's the man. And John had the, the, the goal. To be able to look at King Herod and go, dude, you're a sinner. You're cheating and having an affair and you've stolen your brother's wife. How many of you know you don't talk like that to a king? John the Baptist didn't care because he had a boldness about him. He knew who Jesus was and he was like all fired up until he went to prison. Because King Herod had him arrested, threw him in the brig. And while he was there, John the Baptist sends out one of his followers and go, you need to go to Jesus and ask him this question. Are you truly the one who we've been waiting for or is there someone else? Spiritually disabled. His faith is gone. He, he's, he's like, man, I'm in prison. I don't know what to think anymore. Spiritually broken because now he doesn't even know if Jesus is the right guy. Reality is we all can come to the place of having a spiritual disability. We can all have our eyes open. We all know Jesus and we have spiritual sight. But here's the thing. How many of you know if you've been hurt and wounded enough, it, 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 it causes problems? If you go through enough trials, you've been disappointed too many times. It, it gets to a point where inside you're not moving. You just feel like I am spiritually disabled. You are at the pool. You're not blind, but you are lame and you are paralyzed. And everything that has happened to you causes you to get into a spiritual funk. You just, you feel it. You're like David. My bones are wasting away. You're like Elijah. You're, just, you're depressed and you're so sad. God, I would rather just go home. I'm done. You're like John the Baptist. How do I know if Jesus even cares anymore? You get broken spiritually. You may not be physically disabled, but are you spiritually disabled? But here's the good news. If you see yourself broken, disabled spiritually, there's good news. All in favor for good news? I am. Because can I tell you, um, I know Paul and I have been spiritually broken and spiritually disabled. There's been many times where I'm just like, oh, God, I'm done. Just take me home. But here's the good news. Uh, Jesus doesn't leave this guy here. Okay? So now here's the second thing. Now let's get into the good news of how do we get past? How do we get out of the spiritual disability? Here's the first thing. Here's number two. Jesus offers us an opportunity to admit we need spiritual healing. 
He gives us an opportunity to admit, to confess that we need spiritual healing. So here's this guy. He's been there for 38 years. Look at verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and he knew he'd been there a long time. Let's stop right there. Jesus saw this guy lying there and Jesus knew him. We've seen this before, haven't we? He, 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 he sought out a woman at a well because he already knew her. Okay? Jesus knows things. It, it's not like Jesus shows up and goes, dude, tell me your life story. No, no. Jesus shows up and he sees this guy and he knows him. He knows you've been here for a long time. Okay? Now, one would think with Jesus' knowledge of knowing who he is, knowing the fact he's been here a long time, Jesus wouldn't have to ask the next obvious question. Because if you look at what Jesus says, he says, you've been, he, says he's, he says he knew he's been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? I read that, and I've read this text so many times, and I keep coming back to the same question I ask. What a strange question. Why would Jesus ask such a strange question? He's Jesus. Couldn't Jesus like, dude, you've been here for a long time. Just get up and walk. Couldn't he have just done that? I mean, I mean couldn't Jesus like, hey, guy, tell me your story, man. How long you been here? Hey, you know what? I can heal you if you'd like. I've got the power. He could have had a dialogue with him about all that stuff, couldn't he? But no, Jesus goes, hey, he doesn't even ask him how long you've been. He, Jesus already knows it. Man, this guy's been here for 38 years. 38 years. I'm going to ask him a question. Hey, dude, do you want to get, you want to, you want to be healed? I'm thinking it's obvious. Of course he does. But the question is, is why would Jesus ask such a question? Got any ideas? Here's what I came up with. Because there are some people who don't want to be healed. Think about that for a moment. There are some people who have been in their situation for so long. That's all they know. That's what they're comfortable with. And the idea of getting out of this into something different scares me. Have you, have, have you ever known anybody who lives their life in 24-7 crisis mode? All the time. And, and, the, and they'll be honest. They're like, oh, man, I really, I, I, I really wish life would change. I really wish I didn't have these crises. But here's the thing. They put themselves in the crisis. They keep doing things that cause crisis to just crumble down on them. And, and as soon as you think, wow, they're going to get a breath, Sometimes they sabotage their own life because that's all they know. They know nothing else but crisis. And here's the thing. The reality is I think if they didn't know crisis, their life would stop. They wouldn't know what to do because they're comfortable in the crisis. They need the crisis. So I believe Jesus asked this guy, man, you've been here for 38 years. Do you really want to be well? Or are you comfortable with where you're at? Think about that spiritually now. I think Jesus still asks us today. Do you want to be well? Spiritually, if you are spiritually broken, spiritually disabled. Do you really want to be healed? Because here's the thing. Jesus could have automatically just healed that guy that quick. And sometimes he did. But this guy, he didn't do it. The reality is, Jesus won't force us to change. He's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do or, or want to be. And I still think Jesus still asks us, do you really want to be healed spiritually? Because the reality is, he wanted this man to admit and to confess, yes, I do. I don't want to be here anymore. I want my life to be different. I want my life to change. Yes, I want to be healed. And I think when it comes to spiritual disability, I think God's still in the same. Do you want to be healed? But the reality is there are people who will not admit they are spiritually broken. 
There's a lot of people. They know they're spiritually broken. They're spiritually disabled. But pride keeps me from saying anything. Some people will just live in the spiritual disability and just go through life and put on the happy face, come to church, hey, how's everybody, and be spiritually broken inside, disabled, just going through the motions, pretending everything's okay, nothing's wrong, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, and they go home knowing I am broken, disabled, I am not going anywhere, I am not moving, I'm not walking with God. That's what spiritual paralysis does. Spiritual brokenness, spiritual disability keeps me moving forward with God. Keeps me from growing. Keeps me from experiencing what God wants in my life. Keeps me just backed away. Keeps me from just, you know. And the reality is some people are comfortable there. We're afraid of what may happen. We're afraid of the change. We're afraid of being honest with God. God, I am broken. And God, I need you to heal me. You know, the Bible shows us how important the idea of confession is. You know, in the book of Romans chapter 10, it says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved, spiritually awakened. But yet how many people who are spiritually blind won't admit it. They keep believing in the, well, you know what? I can just do, I, I can do my own thing. I can fix myself. I can get myself to see. And they can't. So many of us think we can fix ourselves spiritually and we can't. That's why in James chapter 5, it says that if you'll confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. And the idea is that you don't have to confess everything to somebody but there's, some, there's the power of confession, the power of just admitting, here's where I'm at. You know, back to David again. When you read the book of Psalms, the book of Psalm is really one big book of confession. If you really think about it. Oh, so many Psalms. Because so many times... You'll read, G, read, read David like he's looking in a mirror, and he's just looking at himself, and he's like, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul within me? He, he, he's like looking at himself. He's like, why am I so broken spiritually? What's wrong with me on the inside? I feel, I feel, I feel like I'm disabled. I feel like I'm not. Something's wrong. And he looks at himself. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so broken? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so sad? What's going on inside of me? In Psalm chapter 142, verses 1 and 2, you see a confession of David. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. He recognizes where he's at. He sees the brokenness. He sees the disability within him. He knows something's not right. And he's like, he just begins to pour out everything before the Lord. He admits it. God, here's where I'm at. God, I need your healing because I can't do it. And we see this with David time and time again. Just as Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? I believe Jesus asked us the same question. You may not have a physical problem. But do you feel spiritually broken, spiritually disabled, spiritually paralyzed, spiritually lame? You're just not moving. You're not engaged. You're just going through the motions. You pretend everything's okay when it's not. Jesus is asking you, do you want to be healed? Or are you comfortable with where you're at? 
You're comfortable with your blindness. You're comfortable with your lameness. You're comfortable with your disability. You're comfortable with your paralysis. You're comfortable with not moving forward. You're comfortable with not feeling God working in your life. You're just comfortable with just being right where I'm at. So that if you want to be healed, you've got to come to the place where you're like, God, man, here's, and just unload it all. What has happened in your life that has caused the spirit spiritual disability what things have happened in your life that has caused the spiritual brokenness the spiritual paralysis what's caused you to just feel like man i i i'm by the pool and i can't get in it i'm by the pool and i can't walk i can't move I'm, i'm just here what needs to just come out and say god here it is and you pour it out And you confess it, you admit it, and you just be like, Jesus, I do. I want to be healed. And then here's the third thing. The third thing about spiritual disability is this. And here's another way of how healing comes. Hearing and responding to what Jesus says brings spiritual healing. You got to hear and you got to respond to what Jesus says. That's truly going to bring the spiritual healing. So Jesus asked this guy there in verse 6, Do you want to be healed? And in verse 7, it says, And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Now he doesn't come right out and say, Yes, I do. But from what he says, the man still wants to be healed. But the problem is he's just going about it the wrong way. Number one, his, I, he's putting his hope and his faith and his trust, probably, like I said, in some kind of mystical, traditional, uh, yeah, the angel's coming down, they stir the water, that's what's going to get me healed. And, and he's kind of putting his hope in that. But the second area that he was putting his hope in was people. Well, if I just had someone to help me. Now, if you think about it, he had 38 years he's been here. And he's like, I have no one to help me. He has no family, no wife, no kids, no parents, no relatives, no friends, no acquaintance, nobody. I have no one to help me. He was like, if I just had someone to help me, I'd be okay. Dude, why don't you help me? Just put me in there. You see, he was looking for natural means to resolve something that was bigger than the natural. And the reality is, the bigger thing was just his paralysis. The bigger thing was his whole, his whole being. And here's the thing. You and I, how often do we look for a natural solution for a spiritual problem? How many times do we... we, we, we Something's, we know something's wrong, I'm, I'm just, I'm broken, I'm spiritually disabled, and all of a sudden we start engaging in the natural. Instead of the word, we engage in the world. And here's what happens, we start looking for a natural solution for a spiritual problem, and here's the way some people do it. They, they begin going, you know what, I think if I just had more money and had more stuff, I'd be okay. So we start going after more money. We start going after more stuff. We start thinking a a spiritually blind person who doesn't know Jesus believes the truth that says, you know what? If, if, If I just go after religious traditions, if I just will work harder, if, if I just follow a certain path, that will get me to heaven. But they remain, they remain spiritually blind. How many people will sit there and think, if I just invest more time in my career, in my business, in my education, these are the things that, that, that will help the spiritual disability. Some people even self-medicate to try to heal the spiritual disability. You know, over the past couple years through the COVID whole thing, I've 
have a, a strong feeling that more Christians have been spiritually disabled over the past two years than any other time. People have just been spiritually broken, spiritually disabled, spiritually paralyzed. And here's the solution a ton of Christians have come up with. Leave the church. I'm not going back. I'm walking away. I don't want God. Don't need any of it. That's the solution. That's not going to change anything. Because the spiritual brokenness is going to remain. The spiritual paralysis will still be there. Listen, you, we cannot put ourselves in a natural thing hoping for a spiritual healing. It's not going to happen. The only way we get a spiritual healing is through the spiritual one. It's not about worldly ways. It's about a wordy way. Look at this guy. So after he says, I have no one to help me in verse 7, look at verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. At that point, yes or no, that guy has a decision to make, doesn't he? Either this guy who just said that is off his rocker, not going to happen. I'll, be, I'll stay where I am. Thank you, but no thank you. I'll just, I'm sure somebody will get me into the pool and, 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 and that, 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 that will heal me. Or he does what he, he does. In verse 9, at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. He heard what Jesus said. And responded to what Jesus said. Jesus says, Jesus didn't say you are healed. He says, get up and walk. Then the guy, here's the way I'm thinking is, as the guy looked at Jesus and he was like, he had to make a decision at that moment. Okay. And I'm sitting there wondering if he put his hand down, started to move and healed. And then he was completely able to walk, get up carry his mat, and walk out of there. He heard what Jesus said, had to make a decision, and he responded to what Jesus said. Is it any different for you and me? The reality is the word brings the healing power. It's what Jesus has said. It's what God says. Look at, look at these three verses that's going to be coming up on the screen. In order to heal a spiritual problem, you've got to have a spiritual solution. And that solution comes from God's word. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 3. God has spoken to Isaiah. And Isaiah is saying this to the people of Israel. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. That's God like saying it to the people. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul may live. You see, God's telling the people, why do you spend your time and your money and your labor on things that aren't going to satisfy and heal you? Why are you wasting your energy trying to heal a spiritual problem? Because you notice it says, incline your ear, come to me, and hear, so what? Your soul may live. Not your outwardness, not your circumstances. No, your soul. That's what's broken. He's like, man, you're spiritually disabled. So if you want to live, if you want change, here's how you do it. Come to me. Come to me and eat real food. Now, the real food he's talking about is, is the word. Let that get in you. Let that become the source. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16, Jeremiah writes this. He says this about to, to God. He says, your words were found, and I ate them. Now, that's not literally. He means he, he took them in. He read them. He let them get into him. He says, and your words became to me a joy and a delight in my heart. You see, the words became a joy and a delight. So that's telling me that Jeremiah at this time did not have a joy and a delight. He was something wrong inside. 
He's like, oh, but when I saw the word of God and I started to read it and I started to consume it, I started to take it in, all of a sudden those words became my joy and became my delight. I'm telling you, if you are spiritually broken, it is the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, he says that the word of God is at work in those who believe. You see, Hebrews chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 2 talks about when the word of God just gets in, it's going to work. How many of you have ever been sick and you go to the doctor? And you're like, dude, I just need a prescription of something, okay? And you know, have you ever had like, like, uh, like bronchitis or, or, or really bad flu and they give you a Z-pack and, and you start taking that? Let me ask you, when you take that pill, are you sitting there trying to examine what that pill is going to do? You're trying to figure out, how's this working? Or do you just take the pill in the morning, one in the afternoon, one at night, and you go to bed and you sleep okay? But then about four days later, you're realizing, I'm feeling better. Why? You kept taking the medicine. You weren't worried about how it was going to work. You didn't know, you know, well, when will it work? You, you just took it. And guess what the medicine did? It did its job. It got on the inside of you, and it was able to build up your immune system to fight the disease that's in you and get you well. The Bible is no different. The Word of God is a medicine, and all you and I have to do is take it in. It's not up to us to figure out how it works. It's not up to us to, to determine, will this change me? How is this going to make me happy? How is this going to change? All I've got to do is just get it in me. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. He doesn't tell Timothy, hey, tell some good stories. Tell some good anecdotes. Paraphrase the word. Be, be a religious cheerleader up there. Be the counselor to the people up there. No, he says, preach the word. Because when you preach the word, the people are hearing the word. The word is going into your ears, into your mind, and hopefully into your heart. And guess what it's going to do? As you just keep taking it in, taking it in, it is medicine that is good to the soul. And that is how you get out of your spiritual disability. Why do you think I get up here every week and just take you verse by verse? I'm not trying to entertain you. I'm not trying to just spoon feed you. I'm not trying to just give you anecdotes. I'm preaching long messages for a reason. Because I want to preach the word in hopes that the word of God, that you hear it, gets in you, and it will do something. I don't know what it's going to do. I can't control that. My responsibility is just to preach the word. Your responsibility is to come and hear the word, and then your responsibility and my responsibility is when we're at home, we're taking in the word. We're reading it. We're studying it. And then as it just goes in, the medicine goes down. The medicine goes down. And if you are feeling spiritually disabled, spiritually broken, it's not going to change you overnight. It may take some time because some of us, we've got some, this guy has been there a long time. Some of you, maybe you've had some spiritual disabilities for a long time. You've got some deep stuff that, that the word of God has got to penetrate. As, Roman, as Hebrews penetrates deep. And you've got to let that word get deep. And I'm going to tell you, you take the word in, the word's going to reveal things to you. But here it goes back. Are you willing to admit to God Yep, that's the reason why I'm broken. That, that's a source right there, God. Heal me. Heal me. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, even, if, even between you and God, can I tell you there are times in my life where I don't want to confess to God that there's things wrong with me. I'd rather just, like we're going to cover it up from God. God, Jesus knew this guy. And he knows you. He knows you. You know you and he knows you. But here's the thing. He knows you very deeply. And the things that we want to try to cover up, the things that we want to try to bury, the things that we think, ah, I, I, he knows it. 
He already knows it. He just wants you and I to get to that place and say, okay, God, you and me. And if you've got to have your Jacob moment and you've got to wrestle with God, start wrestling. Because healing is not going to come until you admit it and until you get the medicine in you. Once you start doing that, you're going to see the healing. Next week, we're going to look at the last portion of this and see a few more things that you and I can do to get that healing. I hope you want healing. I know I do. But it's not hard. It's not easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. But are you willing to go through the difficulty to get on a better side? Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you and just worship you today. And Lord, in this room today, you know every heart. I don't. Lord, so many of us, we can come to, a ch- we can come to church on a Sunday mo- morning and we pretend. And we put on a good face and we can, we can fool everybody around us. But Lord, the reality is we can't fool you. You know every heart in here. You know what every heart, what every person has gone through. Every difficulty, every hurt, every ounce of pain, every sorrow. And Lord, for a lot of us, maybe there are people in here, just like that man, for a long time, they've been spiritually paralyzed. And Lord, I would just pray that even right now, you, your Holy Spirit is stirring their spirit to get them to a point where maybe not here this morning Lord but maybe when they get home in their own private time they get real before you and they admit they're broken they admit their paralysis they admit that they are spiritually lame that they can't move they can't walk and that Lord you and them they would start to see where where they need to have that change And let your word do the work it needs to do. So, Father, we are just thankful for your word and that it is so truth, it is so penetrating, but yet it is the medicine that we need to bring that delight to our soul, that healing to the soul. And we just pray, Father, that you would do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and close.